This is People Unboxed from ADP. Hello and welcome to the first episode of People Unboxed. I'm Penny Haslam and in this series we're discussing a key challenge for modern businesses, engagement. Recent research from Gallup highlights the issue. Only 15% of employees worldwide say that they're engaged at work. Just 15%. This statistic really captured our interest, so much so that we commissioned our own research to find out both why engagement is so low and what it would take to get people actually excited about going to work. And that research led us here to this podcast. So our job is to examine the insights and hopefully find some straightforward solutions and strategies to make us, our colleagues and our workforce happier. Well, joining me now around the table are four experts with huge experience of working to address these issues. And today's topic is, why do we go to work? So let me start with you, Jeff Phipps. You're the UK's general manager at ADP. Why do you go to work? Is it the money? I think about work as a service and I think about going to work to provide a service to clients and provide a service to our employees as well. And quite simply, I get a lot of satisfaction if we can, it's a continuous journey of how do you get better at that. But when we do it well, it's very fulfilling personally. So that's what I really enjoy about going to work. Is your mobile phone your service centre call line? So <laughs> happy to help. Um, no, I think it's it's more about uh, and I'm sure we'll get into this through through engagement, but it's more about I believe that the world is changing and what people fr- want from their employer, what they want from the relationships they have with people at work is changing as well. So I think how we evolve that to make somewhere a really, really great place to go to work is tied in with providing great service to your your clients and customers as well. Okay, thank you, Jeff. Annabelle Jones, the UK Director of HR at ADP. Why do you go to work? Is it to work alongside fabulous people? Like Jeff? Well, of course, mm-hmm. um, that's a big part of it. Um, but actually, it's really quite simple. I actually just love what I do. Um, that sounds really sad. Um, cheesy. But, yeah, cheesy. But you do. Um, but I feel like, you know, I, I found a career that I actually really enjoy. I feel I can add value. I feel proud of what I do. And, um, and you know, that's what keeps me going and gets me to work every day. Okay. And then round the table, Jackie Mann, founder of J Mann Associates and author of Recruit, Inspire, Retain. Does what it says on the tin, I'll bet. It does. Yeah. So why do you go to work? <laughs> I've spent many years in HR um, and I've worked in all sorts of different organisations with different cultures. And I just like to be able to share my knowledge and everything I've learned and be able to share it with other people so that they can benefit from it and also, you know, help them achieve their goals with their business and get the engagement with their staff. Sharing expertise. Absolutely. Brilliant. Yeah. And Perry Timms, founder of PTHR and author of Transformational HR. Perry, your job is varied and broad. What what gets you out of bed in the morning? Why do you go to work? I think I have an obsession about learning. So um, I found that the work I do just indulges that. I, I find all sorts of things about people and about why they come together for exploits and endeavours um, and so that keeps me going and I see people who are like me and perhaps who've talked about it so far with this within this podcast um, it's sense fulfillment it's it's what you love doing it's an extension of who you are but ultimately you're just learning something new every day. Okay thank you Perry so um, just going to the ADP findings first off what does it say about UK workers about why they go to work? Well, interestingly, um, we look at intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. So in simple terms, um, is it 
I go to work because I love what I do or is it because I have to, because I'm getting something, well, financial benefit for it, basically. What's quite interesting is the balance is quite even here. So it's 51% of people go for things they need or want and 48% go to work for personal reasons, um, personal development, happiness. So not a lot in it, actually, which I think is quite interesting. And I have to say, if I was being asked that question, you'd want to answer a bit of both, really, yeah. truth be told. It's sort of, you know, it's quite hard to draw a, a hard line between, um, as much as I've said, I go to work because I love it. The fact I get paid helps. Um, so I think, you know, it's quite a hard, hard question to, to give a, a, a black and white answer to. Yeah, I, I think about when I first started work, I was working for Lloyds Bank, setting off on a new career, and I was really enjoying it, really excited, thinking of everything that was ahead, and I was just a bundle of energy. And someone who'd been working there a while stopped me and said, well, would you still come if we didn't pay you? And I really was struck by the fact I didn't have an answer to that. And it was, there was a truth there that I had to face. And so I think you're right, Annabelle. I think that there are always multiple elements to this. But nobody wants to hear that. I only go to work because I get paid to do it, do they? No, they don't. But I think if um, for all of us who did our CIPD training, we'll cast our mind back to old Maslow's hierarchical needs when he talks about, you know, the first thing that people need is they need that security and they need that safety. And that's the the first thing is, is getting your money, is getting paid every month. And then it's once you've got that, then what do you want after that? But you've got to have that bit first. So I think what you were saying about the findings is, yes, there is a bit of both, but it's how do we get people to want those extrinsic things as well as not just the intrinsic things i often get people talk about work as a dirty word and and that you know it's something bad that we shouldn't celebrate yet if we look at the games makers in 2012 none of those got paid but they turned up with such effervescent they made the olympics what it was so i think we ignore sometimes the fact that people want to do good things for other people and if they can find an economic return for that as well then great that's the best balance ever where it's just about the economics i've seen people who've jumped into roles which are paid more and hated it and then wish they'd never done it so it's a complex thing that we're naturally i think always testing ourselves about why are we doing what we're doing with the gusto we have what about attitudes overall because in the late 90s i know that it became quite an appealing idea to say that you can you know move from an attitude of living to work or working to live has that uh, transition from the age of industry and that shift in attitude prevailed or do we sort of work to live and live to work what's the balance there I think what we've seen is people care more about beyond the economic side of things, right? And, and this isn't just a thing for people that are born after 1995 or labelled millennials. I don't buy that at all. So I think there's a lot of people around this table don't fit into that category, but who describe work as something that's an extension of who they are. And I think people have now realised that work we spend so much time in and is an extension of who we are and what we do, that actually we need it to be something that's fulfilling beyond the economics and that we have value we create relationships that are strong, um, opportunities to learn and stretch ourselves. So I think that's become more noticeable as work has got more perhaps complex and different. And we're not uh, always an extension of a machine. We're not just processing something in a routine way. I think that's given us a sense of, um, of understanding who we are and what we're all about. I think there's an interesting uh, debate there because there's a lot of t discussion about the productivity levels in the UK. And how do we address those? Well, I think there's a, a huge amount of um, research and the benefits of productivity. So an engaged workforce are going to go that extra mile, put in that discretionary effort. And from that, you're going to get um, better productivity, better results. So I think 
yeah, the argument for engagement um, is is well rooted. Um, I think the the how you get there is a is a much bigger debate. I think there's um, there's a causality to be questioned in um, uh, times of adversity whether whether people pull together and pull an organisation out of the quagmire. So I heard a story of an uh, an American company about thirty thousand people um, at the height of the financial crash lost lots of orders. They could have gone under. Now, the the normal routine to that is to nip and tuck and to let people go. This organisation did a different thing. It said to its employees, how can we save money? How can we survive? They all changed their working patterns. Some people took early pensions. Some people forego uh, pension contributions. Um, Two years after that, they posted their best financial returns ever because everybody pulled together. Now, that's engagement. That's it. In the face of adversity, what, what I guess I, I struggle with sometimes is when we try to pull all these levers for what I would call faux engagement, when we try and create an environment that looks like you know a famous technology company just because it looks trendy and that will engage people. I think we've got to get to the heart of why people are turning up to do what they're doing and how can they pull together when they need to. A little bit like you see perhaps in stories of endeavours in the military where people say, well, they would have done it for me. That's engagement for me when people can testify to that. Okay, so it does raise the question, doesn't it? How can you engage employees? Jackie? Yeah, I think from what you said there, uh, Perry, is like, you know, what what made those employees want to actually do that? Because it, if it was they're just thinking, well, it's just to make money for the, the top people, then that's not going to be the engagement. There had to be something there that made those people want to do that. And it's finding out what that is. And it's normally based around the values and what the purpose of that business is. And if everybody understands what that purpose of that business is, which goes beyond making a profit. And I think that's where a lot of businesses get it wrong when they're, yes, we're all in business to make a profit. You know, we have to, but there has to be something else for that. And I I think I see a lot of people now who want to know what the business is doing to give back give back to the environment, um, to the communities, as well as making the profit. But what else are they going to do for it? So having um, the ambition is no longer to have more, but to be more. Yes, 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 I'd agree with that, to be more, yeah. Mm. And do you see that in companies as a trend changing? Would you wish for it to change? I don't know whether I, I see it as a trend. I can speak from personal experience that we see exactly as Jackie's saying there, that there's a huge amount of interest in, in doing things for uh, for charity, doing doing those activities. But um, we, we, we find when, when I'm being interviewed, uh, sorry, when I'm interviewing people, often now they're really testing that. So people will say, oh, you talk about having a really people-centric culture in your organisation. Prove it to me. Demonstrate that that's real. And I think... To your point, Perry, about uh, technology, people aren't interested or they're less interested in the product that we produce now and more interested in what's it actually going to be like to work here and does that align with my values? And I think this values alignment is really, really important. If an organisation demonstrates that it's it's really committed to those values, it, it lives and breathes them as opposed to them being just a sign on the wall and it's not just about making money but it sees it, it, its role as playing a role in society for good, that will align with those values and those people will be more motivated. And, of course, you really have to work hard at that, don't you? Because it is a vendor's market. You know, there's a, the very high levels of employment. Skills are in short supply. What are you doing to, to prove that point? And what could you encourage others to do to, to really help engage when they're sat across the desk from you in a job interview? So I think, you know, from, from our experience, um, 
the work we've been doing at ADP, we've um, we've really engaged with our community, um, and we haven't just done it to tick a box that says we when you are. You say community. What do you mean? Our local community that we work okay, in. Actually, the community yeah. you work yes, in. Yes, exactly. exactly. So we, um, yeah, we wanted to start working, you know, on our CSR, you know, corporate social responsibility. But actually, we've dropped the corporate bit, and we've just really made it genuine. And it's come from our our employees. It's been driven by them. Um, they've engaged with the local community um, through volunteering events, fundraising, and it's just been amazing. It's taken off the, we've, we've had local recognition for the work we've done. Our engagement scores on those particular items are really high. Um, people want to do it. It's something they really want to get involved in. And it's not a one-way street, is it? Because presumably those members of the community are engaging with ADP and thinking, oh, actually, I, I want to send my kids there to work or I want to apply for Absolutely. a job there. And, and it is a kind of two-way street that's got benefits yeah. all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I came across a, a company in, in Wisconsin who um, employ people with a local community uh, who have learning disabilities, partly because around 85% of people that have a prescribed learning disability can work but can't get the work because people have a prejudice and a bias perhaps uh, or towards... Or their full-time positions, exactly no right. flexibility. Yeah. So, so they've worked with these people to say, what what do you like to do, what do we need you to do, and so on. So they've brought them into the workplace, and, and the up sort of benefits uh, are that, that people feel a stronger sense of the community they're part of who work there um, and, and they see people who, who even just get into work sometimes is a real trial and a tribulation uh, but they turn up with a smile on their face and they, they commit themselves to doing their work and, and then when you're moaning about just having to go to another meeting it kind of puts it all in context you're like I'm working with colleagues who are really pushing through some barriers and I'm just moaning about something trivial so it's created a different kind of bond and you feel like you're doing good uh, for the community then as well. So I think that's how I like to see it done, very deliberately and very inclusively. Mm. The other benefit that we've seen from our work is um, the team work. So we've got teams of people out of the office doing volunteering together um, and maybe mixing those teams up a little bit as well. And that's been a really powerful side effect almost of, um, of yes. engaging with the community. A ripple to get out of your silo if yes. there is one and yeah. uh, meet some others. Meet some other people, yeah. I think there is a community inside the organisation that needs to be recognised as well. And I think of two things there. We uh, we recently had a management meeting where, for various reasons, I think holidays and other things, we hadn't been together for a while. And I remember sort of sensing that there was there was some sort of you know, elephant in the room. And you know, midway through the meeting, I just stopped and said, uh, can you all just tell me how you are? Don't talk about work. Just Just say how you are. And if you don't feel like commenting, that's fine. It's and a great service you're offering there, Jeff. <laughs> Thank you. Bit of um, therapy and counselling. But it was really interesting, you know, as we talked through that, you know, people had real things going on in their personal lives that others in the team didn't necessarily recognise. And I think we're very quick to judge people without knowing what's really going on in their lives. And the idea that you can completely detach work from your personal life no, it's crazy, really. So I think that that was a real lesson for me and just making sure you, you know what's going on with people and recognising that there is that, that community. The second thing we've tried to do is to ask ourselves, do decisions really need to be made at the top? So we changed our dress code around, I think it was about a year, 18 months ago. And we said, well, let's, let's just let the employees decide because we don't really care. And there's a sense there of justice within the organisation because... 
the majority have had their vote rather than it just being decreed from on high. And I think giving people that opportunity to have a voice, and it comes back to your example there about feeling that they're part of the business can be really powerful. Yeah, I mean, also, you know, in my experience, it's if if you if you do things to employees um, that it's not going to work, you know, you have to include them in, in what's happening and help them with the decisions. And, you know, some leaders aren't very happy because often the employees come up with better ideas than them, you know, and that, that can be great. Um, and people will really buy into that then. Well, one of the reasons you said you go to work is because you share expertise, you can share your knowledge. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're not asking people for their ideas, given that we live in an ideas economy, they're going to feel very disengaged. Is that what you're seeing? Absolutely. I see that. I see that a lot of uh, employees don't feel valued at work. Because they don't they're not feel, listened to, they're, they're not, not listened to, they're not asked, they're not encouraged to, you know, have a voice. Um, they, they're expected to just often just do what they're told. And if they do um, come up and say any ideas, they're often seen as being a bit of a troublemaker sometimes, you know, trying to rock the boat. Um, and, and that needs to change. You know, people have got really valuable ideas. Just because they are, you know, not paid as much money as someone at the top doesn't mean that their ideas aren't good. But if the culture at the top doesn't enable that, if the you're, cul- yeah. that's, you're unhiding to nothing, aren't you? That's right. That's, 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 I think, culture. I think about if, you're, if purpose is the, the why, then culture is the how. And what leaders do in business, uh, how they behave, how they encourage people to be open about their ideas, to feel that they can come forward and speak up, sometimes about things that they're unhappy about. If they feel that there's going to be a black mark against them because they've done that, they're not going to do it. And so we then get into discussions about authentic leadership and what does that mean? And I was amused by somebody recently who said, well, uh, there's a lot of discussion about authentic leadership, but really, you, you know, if you were really authentic, you wouldn't bring the sort of you know, the fact that you don't put the cutlery in the dishwasher at home and things like that. So so what does that really mean? And I think it's about being... Yeah, despots are authentic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think what we've done a lot of work to do is actually really be honest about um, some of our stories and be authentic and talk about openly about things that, for me, in the back, in, in the past, I, I think I had a sort of corporate version of myself. of, And, and I've now talked openly about the fact that I grew up in a in a very working class background um, where my mum for a while was a single mum. And what I found there is that that's helped me to build relationships with people because they, they didn't see me like that before. They saw me as this sort of leader with this mm. you know, polished leader. Shield. And now they realise there's a real person there that's got real experiences that they can um, equate to and understand. And I found that be, to be really powerful again. Okay, so let's say the garden is rosy, the top is fully onto, onto the idea that engagement is cool, and uh, you know it's all there's some great ideas about how to go about that. Communication though is king in all of this, isn't it? And if you employ thousands of people, communication with employees has got to be rock solid and focused, and f- and focused on that task of engagement, not just an add-on to the marketing department. Or I mean, I'm guessing you tell me what what's what works, what doesn't. I mean, for me, it's all about that the communication has to be two-way communication, but there has to be daily communication, there has to be weekly communication, there has to be monthly communication, and everything needs to be linking back to the values and what the purpose is. Um, and employees need to know the good and the bad about what's going on, not just the, the good news or we're all doing well. They need to know when things aren't going so well either. 
and what they can do about it. Um, and sharing the numbers. There's lots of businesses won't share the numbers, uh, the financials of the business. What's the impact um, of sharing numbers on individuals, do you well, think? Because people really get to understand then what's actually going on in the business, whereas to them it's just like, well, they're making a lot of profit, he's going on a nice holiday, um, and what do I get from it? And actually it might not have been a great month. Mm. <laughs> um, so sharing the numbers um, and explaining to them how, how they're contributing to it. I see so many businesses that I've worked with where the employees don't realise where they fit in. They don't know how their actual job and their role contributes to the bigger picture. And unless you explain to them, you know, and, and show them, well, when you do this part, this part then happens and then this part happens. And if you don't get that, then they really don't understand and they don't get that engagement then. They're not so motivated because they just don't really see, well, I just do my bit and go home. How do I fit into that bigger picture? I mean, I think, I think communication is always the thing you've got to be restless about because there, there is no recipe. So I've seen some brilliant examples where companies have brought in an app that everybody's got on their smartphone and it is two-way and it plugs everybody in and it's fantastic. But you still can't beat the, the, you know, the, the, the walk-arounds, the town halls, the gatherings, the, um, you know, the self-made communication forums for things that are really interesting for people in businesses. So I often say that when we're talking about communication, we ought to create it socially first and professionally second. So people naturally come together and share things because they like being with their colleagues or their peers or their you know, uh, people they don't see that often in the way that you were describing earlier on. You break out a bit of social. And then the professional stuff just follows. So... I think a lot of people introduced enterprise social networks like Yammer and thought, hey, that's great. We can get people off email and they can start chatting like they do on Facebook. They're not going to be like that at work. It's slightly different. Um, So I don't think we can engineer it just through technology. We can use it to supplement but you cannot beat that whole conversational space uh, and, and face-to-face stuff. And, and I've seen some great examples where companies generate huge amounts of energy because they just let people chat to each other. I think one of the disadvantages as well of the apps and things like Yammer and Slack and those types of things is that that's great for the younger generation, but not all of the older generation actually want to take part in it because they don't understand it. I mean, I've got all the apps and lots of things on my phone, um, but, you know, not everybody does. They don't want to engage in you that sort of thing. did struggle with your train ticket into I work. Did. Into I did. I really did, you? yeah. I should have upgraded my should phone earlier. Off, yeah. I should have done, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, not everybody wants to do that. And I think what we're forgetting sometimes is that generations, the older generations, are actually going to get older. They're not retiring like, you know, there is no retirement as such now. People are going to be working until they're in their 70s. Some people still are already, but they don't really want to be using an app and having all this social media stuff. So we have to think about how you can communicate with everybody and not alienate so the older a, generation. There's not a one size fits yeah. all. No, there's yeah. not. You've got to keep on with it. No. Be relentless. Think about everybody. What works at ADP in terms of communication? I I don't know when you say what works. I think that there are different things work for different people at at different times of the day or or the year, whatever. I I think there's a few things that I try to do. One is less corporate speak. Um, Talk to people like the human beings. Uh, I think goes a long way. And the other one that I really, and Annabelle's fed up with me saying this, but less email. Uh, Email is not a collaboration tool. Uh, I typically, you know, I've checked myself here. I've got it down to about four or five emails that I send a day now. And I use it as the communication tool of last resort. So I go and speak to people. I go and I'm like, my eyebrows them. are shot up. I'm like, what do you do then? How do you communicate? Like use the phone and stuff. 
It, it's, <laughs> I, I, I walk around to go and see people. I ring them up. We've got messaging tools and things like that that we'll use. And we've got you know, vi- you know, effectively video com- conferencing type tools or um, video messaging on the, on the desk. So email, it strips away. We're not designed to use email as a communication tool. I remember seeing my wife one night reading an email saying uh, that this work colleague dislikes her. And I said, well, why? What's going on? And she said, well, look, he, I've sent him this email saying we need to have a meeting. And he's told me that he, he can't possibly meet me until next week. And I read the email. And I said, well, could he just be busy? Oh, no, no, no. I've just, he, mm-hmm. she, she'd injected all this tone and body language that I couldn't see. But she decided it was there. So we've really got to move away from email as a communication tool. It's quite it basic, work. really. It's just make some human com- connections and you feel less awkward. There's no elephant in the room when you see each other on a regular basis. So that's easy for us to talk about, but perhaps a little harder to do when you're busy yourself. Yeah, I mean, it is difficult. And, you know, email has its purpose. Um, there, there's definitely a need for it. But I think it is that face-to-face communication um, is, as, as we've said, is invaluable. And you've just got to make the time. And actually, it can be a lot quicker. I sit with my team on a regular basis and I get a lot less emails on those days because they'll just ask me the question over the desk and I'll answer it over the desk. Wow, radical. Yeah, Yeah. I know. It's amazing. We actually just solve a problem there and then. But I think with, you know, my my view on the communication um, as well as we really need to be aware that what um, it's not just what we say, it's what we what they hear. Um, and we've we've definitely had this experience um, at ADP where we've we've presented some great PowerPoint slides and we've said, wow, look at this. This is our strategy. And they go, no, nah, don't get it. And we've had to really go back to basics and start to talk about it in very simple terms by telling a story and getting people to understand it in, in simple terms, mm. not just by presenting a load more facts and figures on a PowerPoint slide. Definitely get boiling back down to authentic, personable leadership and communication. Yeah. And um, can I just pick up on that? Because I think that complexity thing is something we have engineered into work. And I think it does interfere with engagement. So there's a, a, a Dutch home care based nursing organisation that's now big, about nine, ten thousand staff who've kept it incredibly simple. The CEO says we've never had a strategy for what we do because nobody's ever asked for one. People there know what home care based nursing is. There'll be is. people listening to that with their toes curled. I know, I know, absolutely. So they've grown organically, but I mean, they've been operating for a long time now. Um, And so what happens is there, people close to the work work out what's the strategy they need to do their work and how it interconnects. So that's a a very uncomplicated environment, which has got huge levels of engagement. So there's a warning to us. And it's a profitable business with good retention rates and recruitment rates. Best employer in the Netherlands, yeah. So just looking at the stats from ADP, just 10% of people say they're on the same mission as their company and 10% are driven by wanting to learn and grow in their careers. This boils down to values, doesn't it? And noticing in employees what makes them tick and what motivates them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we encourage our clients to be looking at the values of the business. Um, So when they start to advertise, when they're recruiting, they should be including their values actually in um, adverts Um, and also to be interviewing people for values first. So it's a match rather than a mismatch. Absolutely. Because if there is a mismatch, I mean, I worked in a company where my values were in conflict with the values of the company and it was awful. Absolutely awful. Square pegging around home. Oh, it was absolutely terrible. Um, Worst job I ever had. So you know, by actually recruiting against the values first. Um, and I know some of our clients, what we encourage them to do is to do a values-based 
interview first um, and then if they pass that interview then they go on to the next stage for the technical ability because most of the people you know depending on what the role is you can train people in another job but you can't train them to match your values absolutely not so to me it's about values match first which is then going to help towards the engagement is that how you identify employees who are going to work well in your environment? I think that's very good. I think understanding the values match right at the beginning um, is very important. And being clear on what they are. I mean, I, I know, I'm quite sure that if we asked every um, employee at ADP what our values are, they wouldn't be able to recite them off They'd by hand. They'd have to hand. Google it. They'd have to look it up. But if you told them what they were, they'd go, oh, yeah, I get that. I feel it. I can see it. It's, 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 it's Would there. Would they say, so, that's me? I think I think I think largely they would. Um, I think it takes work. It takes a lot of time, and you've got to communicate clearly, and you've got to be clear on what your mission is. Um, and I think that's a big miss. You know, when you look at the stats here, the ten percent say they're on the same mission as their company. Do they know what mission the company is on? So I think if they don't know, then they're not going to be able to make that match. Um, so I think it, that comes back to our conversation about communication. I'm really curious about. Jackie's comments there are making me think because we do see a very high number of people, and this isn't an ADP stat, this is across industries, of people that leave businesses within the first six to 18 months of joining. So clearly there's a problem there when they're joining the organisation and finding the expectations are not as they saw. Now, is that of the job? Is that of the values not matching? Uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe we'll read that in, in, in Jackie's new book. But I think certainly what I look for is what motivates people? I, one of the things that I ask of people is what what brings you. Why do you? Why what do you go to work? Why do you go to work? What, what do you want to get from a career out, from somewhere like ADP? And um, sometimes I hear answers such as, "Well, I want to be big part of a big, you know, corporation and things like that." And when I hear those answers, a little part of me dies. Um, what I really want to hear is what makes you tick. You know, is it that you want to make your mum proud? Is it that you want to provide that security for your family? Are you just materialistic and that you want to buy a you know a great car or a house or, or whatever it is? But when I hear those answers, I always find interviews come alive because I'm actually discovering what's behind that sort of. Sometimes we see the sort of the interview veneer, if you want to call it that. So being able to actually engage with someone in an interview and discover uh, that personality, I often find works well and, and leads to good and people. And presumably you set the tone, HRDs in interviews set the tone for how that person is going to respond. If you're going to do corporate speak, then they're going to talk to you in corporate speak and they don't feel they can be themselves. Is that a good starting point for an interview is is being personable and authentic? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You need to be. I mean, you need to be how you how you turn up for your interview needs to be how you're going to be in the workplace, because if you're if you're not and especially if you're the leader as well, you know, you should be the, be able to be the same person you are at work as what you are outside of work because otherwise you're not being authentic at all. And you're going to struggle because your values are probably different. You know, your personal values are probably different to what the work values are. So you need to be authentic from the very beginning and not, not try to be something you're not. Because then you lead the people into your into your world, don't you? And you show do. them the way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think we need to be careful about a natural conversation. When was the last time you were 
in a social environment and you said to somebody, what are your values? So, so they oh, cut... Oh, time, Perry. They, yeah, they, we're just <laughs> constantly chatting about it, you see, values. But, but this, is, this is what I think we need to be careful about. It's a great thing to have in mind, but, but you, I don't think you can be that guy, direct because I think there are some socially acceptable values that everybody would say. Mm-hmm. And do they really mean them? So where I like to see values come in is demonstrated when they're set in a scenario or an exercise or a situation. So so that's, I think, what we, we can start to do. Because I think if we are expecting people to be able to recite their values and when they, then we do an alignment piece, then we might be in trouble of over-engineering it again. But actually, if we say, look, here's some situations, how would you cope with this? And then you hear them talk through what their solution might be, you're getting value hints all the time coming through there. So I think there's something about how do we create the conditions where people show their values and then I don't think they have to worry so much about am I being authentic, am I saying the right thing and so on Um, because we do want them to be themselves. I absolutely agree with that. Um, But I think we need to be kind of thinking of natural language and situations. I disagree in a certain extent to the fact that the values of the organisation, you need to match them. And from working in an organisation where one of the values was honesty and you're saying, you know, people know what these are, actually my interpretation of what honesty was was completely different to theirs. You know, it's all about how it's interpreted and what that actually means. You know, the behaviours that they um, demonstrated were not the behaviours that I felt went with honesty. Um, You know, so to me... I'm really passionate about values and to me the values of the organisation, everything should be led by the values. And um, there's a a chief exec that I work with and he says, if you're not talking about the values enough, you'll know because you should, you know, your employees should be rolling their eyes every time you mention values. Mm. He said, and then you know you're talking about them enough. We have to be careful though not to go, not to fall into the path of turning it into one of hiring like-minded people and then we, are we in danger then of not we're going against what's really important, which is creating diverse organisations. And I think there, there's a lot discussed about uh, gender and race, but actually one of, the, one of the things that I've found is just the difference between people who are naturally extroverts and introverts. And, and are you able to tap into that and recognise when that's going on? Uh, one, one of the best people I've hired I would describe as an introvert, and the interview wasn't actually going very well, but... I think that I asked some good questions that that got that person to open up and it was only really by by taking the time to do that I think a lot of people had they adopted a a sort of singular interview style that would have worked quite well for extroverts wouldn't have found that person and they've been a great hire but it was quite a challenging interview for the first probably first 20 minutes of it had you been introverted it probably would have been easier is that correct well, I'm a, I think I'm an introvert that's taught myself to be extrovert, so I, I've lost lost the sense of what, what I am. But I think we've got to be... <laughs> it's very honest of you, Chair. We've got to be really curious about what what people, are, what diverse people, how, how people think, whether in whatever, whether it's social background, whether it's age, whether it's gender, race, disability, how good are we are actually understanding their situation versus just judging ourselves through our own lens. And I think... The other thing is that um, you mentioned about generations and the research does bring up about generational differences. Um, Are there any? Well, I actually think it's just that things change. Your motivations change as you move through life. Um, So back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. 
it's constantly evolving. Um, so when I think back to when I was working in the music industry and I could go to the bar after work and it was all very social. It was From the music industry to payroll. I know. Oh, via I know the film that. industry. It's a it's a rock and roll career. It's another so, story there, it's a isn't it? Right? <laughs> yes. But you know, that was a very different um, time in my life. Um I I purposely moved away from working in central London to have a job that gave me better work-life balance because I had a family and I wanted to be able to get home in the evening. Rock and roll. I didn't want to be, um, you know, hanging out in the bar anymore. So I think, you know, what motivates us during our life changes. And um, so I think, yes, there probably are some generational differences, but I think what what we're probably seeing behind the scenes of the survey results is actually just that it, it changes as you move through your different stages of your life. I suppose traditionally you could say that, but the the aspirations for younger people are different to their older generations. So, you know, you're going to have to work a very long time to in order in order to afford a house. So why should you work full time anyway if you're never going to achieve that? So there are goals and achievements within life which we've become used to over the last 100 years, which have just completely gone for a generation coming up. Are you seeing that in how you engage people and how you deal with them across the board that has to be different i'd say it comes back to what we talked earlier on about communication so uh, again uh, what i i really recoil from is overly stereotyped uh, characterizations of people based on certain traits they have or dates of birth and so on because you know i'm working with somebody now who's 26 i'm more millennial than they are but i just happen to be the wrong side of 49 now so so the millennial thing isn't hooked to when you're born it's how you look at life so i think if we in the workplace are constantly having a conversation with people saying are we still ticking all your boxes for what you wanted when you came here in the first place even if that's moved because if that's the case we need to have that conversation to, to make that fit so we've got some problems like flexible working um, as a as a right to be requested uh, and the take-up hasn't been that sort of drastic um, shared parental leave and the take-up hasn't been that drastic yet I don't think we're having the right conversations with people we're not saying um, uh, you know that, that because there's a legislative requirement now, uh, you can be entitled and get it because people are still thinking, but 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 it's a social norm and all those kind of things. And I think we need to create the safe spaces in workplaces to have that happen. So I think we can recalibrate what we offer and what people want quite regularly. And again, you know, you pick up on the work-life balance, and I know that the the survey picked that out as one of the key factors that people look for in their ideal job um, is you know to be able to have a good work-life balance Um, and I think you know that has we hear a lot more about that now and that's become a bigger factor and you know I think it means different things to different people um, but for companies to be open to it and be open-minded about how they can help people achieve that I think it's a big any any company that's underestimating the importance of that when you're hiring and retaining people um, I think they'll 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 miss a trick feels like it's linked more now to wellness yes yeah well, we'll get onto that in another podcast, Perry. Okay, great. Thanks for raising it, though. Um, so what I'm hearing around the table is that there has to be a, a gentler, more nuanced approach to listening to employees and understanding what they can offer. So not judging on behaviours, but seeking to understand intention and motivation at a much more careful level. What Does that then engender respect for employees? Because a lot of people want to be respected at work. The word I was thinking, you've used respect, but the word that I jumped to is trust. And all relationships are built on trust. And we have to constantly be 
asking ourselves, are we doing things that are going to result in trust? When you look at the at the research here, the people that are engaged um, are the ones that seem to have got a good relationship and seem to be aligned and uh, with the, the strategy or the purpose of the organization. So it, it feels to me that that research is telling me there's a good, they've established trust there. And the in the opposite case where people are... Uh, less likely, less engaged than those people who it feels like they haven't got that connection with the, their, their employer. And employ, companies are, uh, they're badges on the wall. They're formed of people. You know, you go to work to work, you know, with and for other people. And if you haven't got that that relationship, you haven't got that trust, I, I can't see how it's going to be functional. And it functional. has an impact on productivity. It, it has to have. If people come in and they're committed to, to Perry's earlier example where people you know get together when there's difficulty or even opportunity uh, and they really work together, they're going to give their all, they're going to give their best version of themselves. When they're not really that interested or potentially they're, they're looking at the job pages to see what could they do somewhere else, well, you could hardly expect them to come in and give their best. Yeah, and, and I think as well as it, um, what we hear and and feel is people want to be treated like adults and I think that's the respect thing for me that's what it means is that you know you so often hear that they're not I know and people just leave don't they mm. after 18 months mm. two years and go and get another job and so on and yeah. so on and so you know the rot has to stop somewhere doesn't it and I think from the top you know wake yeah. up isn't it yes yeah, yeah. Uh, you know you've you've trust you've hired these people you've trusted them to come on board and do the job for you now give them some respect and treat them like an adult um now i think sometimes different industries you know different businesses different it, managers actually different managers yeah. yeah i mean there's a lot of factors that, uh, factors there but fundamentally um you know people want to feel that they're they are um being trusted to do the job that you've employed them to do and if you're not giving them that freedom they're going to soon become dissatisfied oh gosh yes I've got a, a friend who um, she works for a woman who doesn't trust her to work from home mm. um, she hasn't said that explicitly but says no no you have to come in so this woman battles London commuting for an hour and a half into work an hour and a half out of work she's got a small child mm. and she says I could do my work from home guess what her profession is she's a writer mm. You know, on a publication. So mm -hmm. there's no good reason why she... Sh and so that, again, has just left her with her arms crossed, mm -hmm. with a face like a slapped, you know what, just thinking, what am I doing here? I'm not, I don't want to work here. There's, Awful. There's, there's also... That also brings into question perhaps historical, hierarchical approaches to the workplace. Command and control, yeah. Absolutely. And certainly what I... What I really want to get to in our organisation, I would describe it as a work in progress, is one where leadership is quite a dynamic concept, where we can be in one situation and I'm being told what to do and being seen as uh, a resource to help somebody else. And, and that, can, that can flow even during the course of a, a meeting. It's also, I think, important that when we're, when we're making decisions in business that we get the right people in the room, not the people with the best titles. And so the people who've got the knowledge, the expertise, and mixing those people up and getting those right people together is really important. They'll, they feel empowered then. They feel that they've got that voice. And I see when we do that and we bring perhaps more junior people in and give them those opportunities to take part in things that they wouldn't have done in the past, that they feel that that's uh, a real big nod to their career development. 
So to build on that, I, I've done some work with a local authority in the northwest, um, and it's exactly that point. It, they were struggling to create a reform agenda for the community they served, uh, and so they said, well, what's been going wrong? And it was being overmanaged. So they kind of let people loose on it, and it was very much about autonomous teams. And the, the, <laughs> the thing that sticks most in my mind is how I can stereotype. So the corporate lawyer came into one of the sessions I was running about how we do this, and I thought, oh, I'm going to have a hard time here, aren't I? Actually, far from it. She loved it because she says, I want to stop people thinking I have to make all the decisions and I want the decisions to be made at the point where they're most uh, appropriate. And that's where my team are. So she's kind of used that as an empowerment and and um, I guess a show of faith and trust in people. And the response she said she's got is phenomenal. She said, work seems to get done quicker now. People have more energy and the results are better than if I was adjudicating on them and creating the logjam. So I think there is something about trust in that we we have to let people um, experience that and be gentle with it and don't just stand back because otherwise they might feel a bit exposed. Um, So if we say, look, we want you to be like this and here's how we'll support you to be like this, then we get out of their way. I'm interested also in the figures from ADP, right? Okay, so this is about why we go to work. So the least important factors were I would count my colleagues as friends. So are we just a load of cynical Brits who don't really care about the people we work with or how important would you say? Do you think that's actually true? I was quite surprised by that, actually. Um, And, and, you know, it's still... 7.4 7.4 out of 10 people said um, that was the, yeah, I think that, so it's it's not a really low score. Um, but I think, you know, I've certainly in the environments I've worked in, the companies I've worked in, the people you work with are very important and the friendships that you make over that period of time, you spend a lot of time with them. Um, and certainly it's something I hear about um, is the people that I work with are the people that keep me going and keep me on a bad day. They're the ones who will rally around and help you out and, doesn't mean you have to go to the pub with them every night and doesn't mean you're spending the weekends with them but during the day that you're at work with them you see them as your friends I think I was quite surprised to see that that was a not an important factor for people maybe they're thinking of friends as people that you would go out with or go on holiday with you know maybe. friends that way rather mm-hmm. than work just, friends yeah work friends rather than what you'd call as a a true friend. Yeah, I'm not surprised, actually. I think I've seen relationship dynamics shift in the workplace from when I joined in the 80s to now, where it was almost like it was a duty that you had to be like social with your oh, work painful, colleagues. Painful, isn't it? Exactly. And I think we've gone away from that forced team building side of things. And I think what we're now saying is, look, we're in this together. We might as well pull together while we're here. But that doesn't mean to say we have to be best buddies outside of the workplace. But while we're here, we might as well and create that strong sort of social bond, respect differences and all that kind of stuff stuff. Uh, Again, I come back to the work of Simon Sinek when he's looked at the military um, and he said why people go into those terrible situations of, you know, almost like instant death to rescue a colleague. They say, well, they would have done it for me. So it's that kind of camaraderie, I think, is the is the real plus point. Well, let's hope that's not happening in organisations like ADP. I once rescued somebody (laughs) from a very complex call, but that's about as tough as it gets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The photocopier was dangerously (laughs) like electric at one point, so I helped. I think I think you're right. I've experienced that. I think. I think it has changed. I, uh, I think, you know, certainly, you know, I started working in the, in the late 80s and there was a, uh, you know, and it was in, in the city of London and there was a, a big culture of you would you would go to, for a drink after work and things like that. And I think that's changed dramatically. But at the same time, uh, I rely on people like Annabelle to, you know, help me and be uh, sometimes a shoulder to cry on. And, um, you know, not to be in that position where I feel like, well, I have to make the decisions and I can't, 
you know, work with my colleagues to say, hey, how am I doing here, etc. And I do find as you get as I've as I've as my career has progressed and I've got into more senior positions, it's actually harder to get feedback from people. And so you really need to develop those relationships so that people can let you know when you're, you know, on track or off track. But I think it's, you know, when I think back, I mean, it, it, I suppose it is that difference between socialising versus supporting each other at work. But certainly, you know, I, I remember I, my 10th wedding anniversary coming up soon. I had a lot of my work friends at my wedding. So, you know, I would count them as my friends. And, you know, so I do think that I, in the past I have socialised and I have, you know, built strong friendships. I'm still in touch with many people I've worked with from from years from years ago. So, um, yeah, it's it's a small number of people who you then become friends with um, on a social basis. It's not... Um, so I think there is a difference to your point about the the camaraderie that you get in the workplace and that fun and that sort of sense of team spirit versus those who actually go on to be your friends. Susan David, who's a psychologist, has called it your team and your bench. And your bench is who you go to when you need them. <laughs> mm-hmm. The team is who you need around you to build your products and do your services. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, I like that. Mm. Who's on your bench sort of thing. Yeah, well, I've got you, you and you. Brilliant. I'm sorted. Mm. Great. So as we get a relaxing of the dress codes, perhaps we're getting a relaxing of our human ability to connect on a, on a personal level rather than a corporate speak level and maybe Maybe that's all grist for the mill in terms of engagement. So we're going to leave it there. But with one big question, really, round the table, what should the number one thing that you could be doing right away to engage your employees with? What could you do from tomorrow and get on with? Start communicating more on a one-to-one basis. Communicating more? More. more. Just keep communicating with people. Perry? I I think allow people to um, uh, move themselves to the problems they want to solve in the business and find other people who want to solve that problem, build from that basis up. Jeff? I would make sure you understand the people and then you can build a relationship from there. So go find out what's important to them. Annabelle? Make sure people understand what your mission and purpose is as a business so they know what their role is. How? By communicating. (laughs) Simply yeah good tips good tips great stuff everyone thank you so much a really useful and enlightening discussion well that's it for this episode but if you'd like to explore more about adp's people unboxed project please visit adp.co.uk forward slash people unboxed you'll find all the detailed research and insights that we've been discussing as well as a downloadable white paper on the subject of employee engagement and happiness so please do have a look around and thank you to my guests jeff phipps uk general manager at adp annabelle jones uk hrd at adp perry timms at pthr and Jackie Mann, founder of J Mann Associates. In the next episode, we're going to be chewing over what makes us happy and unhappy at work. Oh, I look forward to that one. And you can make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on your podcast app. Well, I've been Penny Haslam. Thanks for listening. People Unboxed from ADP. To find out more and to explore the full survey results, visit adp.co.uk slash people unboxed.